20 years ago, we could turn the numbers back by hand. But, here, take my hat. But the feds like to test the ingenuity of the American businessman. Two-directional drill. You run it backwards, the numbers go down. Watch your speedometer. Cool. Hey? Yeah. Daddy, you're a crook. What? This is illegal. Yeah, keep drilling. Do you make money? Do you have a job? No, but don't people need good cars? Can't you sell good cars, Dad? Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Uh, our passage today is, uh, is going to be, our journey today is going to involve chapter 11 and 12. But I picked out a little verse to actually give it as a starting point, just because, you know, we, we need a starting point. And it's a little elusive. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. Paul goes like this. He says to the Corinthians, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. I tried so hard to do the Mr. T thing. <laughs> Fail, right? You're a fool, right? Like, so you're a fool. You think you're so wise, but you know, you're listening to fools. So I paraphrase, oh, you know, you're so smart. You believe uh, like, that eating pig eyeballs can make you, you know, see better. I heard that on the radio once. It was on the radio, Chinese radio station. Seriously, some, some of uh, the, uh, our Asian guys, like um, especially the middle age to upper, they treat the radio as prophecy. But anyways, like, uh, but that's what I heard. So it seems like uh, you know, we see, we've seen people like that, right? You know, people who boast that they're wise or smart, yet they believe in certain things that we just go, huh? Right? Like, what? Right? But Paul is doing that. Like, what? You clearly put up with fools since you're so wise. And that's where we're going to begin. We are nearing the end of 2 Corinthians, right? And throughout the letter, Paul was being quite honest, quite open, and quite vulnerable in, the, um, in just telling and being real with the Corinthians and being real with us. He expressed his pain, he expressed his sufferings, he expressed his disappointments, he expressed how much he's tempted, he expressed how hurt he was when he was betrayed. He just was just broken. Like uh, in 2 Corinthians, he just revealed everything. His nooks and crannies, like his, his dark areas, you could say. To the Corinthians, of all people. But he also, not just to him and them, but also to us, right? And he, he was saying that, you know, all the suffering, my physical suffering, mental suffering, spiritual sufferings, I struggle with them too, he says. And I'm sure you do too. And he says this, and, but I find comfort. In light of this sufferings, in light of all this enduring, I find comfort in three foundations. And throughout our time together in Second Corinthians, we explored these three foundations because every chapter, he leaned on them. He leaned on at least one foundation. And what are they? Well, the first foundation was Jesus suffers with us. He suffers alongside with us. Now, you know, he's not like the, like, we sometimes I treat God or Jesus or the, or, his, or the Holy Spirit like some GPS, right? It's like, you know, we just go, oh, yeah, God will direct us, God will direct us. Like some guy out there, right, in the sky somewhere and is telling us where to go by the Bible. And we just read the Bible to tell us where to go. And then the, the G, it's like a GPS telling us, 
recalculating. <laughs> you know, like if we're going if we're going the wrong direction, then it suddenly goes recalculating. Like, and then he's like really patient. But no, yes, God directs us, but also God is more personal than that. God will actually intervene and come down and suffer alongside with us, each of us, to take us by the hand and then go through the darkest valleys, right? And we will explore that actually coming up in August 5th, where uh, that was the basis of the whole argument of Philip Yancey in that book, is that God is a personal God, and he will take us through that alongside with us by the hand, leading us by his rod and staff to provide us a comfort through the darkest valleys. You follow? So Jesus suffers alongside with us, and Paul depended on that throughout his sufferings. Second foundation, God promises to deliver us. He leaned on that one greatly. He knew that his sufferings are just temporary. He said that thorn in the flesh is just temporary. His, uh, the betrayal of that brother that he betrayed him it was temporary. The physical, mental, uh, spiritual sufferings that he was uh, going through, he knew that God will deliver me now or later. But for sure, God keeps his promise and will deliver me. And that's something that we can lean on as well. That no matter what kind of suffering, no matter what type of pummeling we take, get from our bosses, from people, from our clients, from whoever, from our family members, we know that late in the end, we'll be delivered from all this because God fulfills his promise. Lastly, the last foundation is a, the biggest one, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the inheritance, the price that's been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and therefore, Jesus, uh, Paul says, the seal of the Holy Spirit has been upon you. The deposit has been paid. What does that mean? We have glorious bodies awaiting us in heaven, waiting for us. So once we go, whether it's now or, till, or at our deathbed, we know that immediately, right away, the glorious body that's in the heavenly footlocker will come and get, be given to us. And that's awesome, especially for those who may be ill especially for my mom, who is right now immobile, who needs to be fed by somebody else, who needs to be pureed, who needs food to be pureed, who cannot go to the bathroom by herself, who needs her own very own son to clean her up after a bathroom. That is something that we all Christians are looking forward to. And thank God it's already been paid for. And that we don't have to do anything about it just to believe in that. Just to believe in that promise and we'll have it. Amen? So, those are the three foundations. So now we move into these next two chapters. Paul was enduring another discomfort. And this discomfort, some of us can relate to, especially for us who are pastors or missionaries or people who have that call to go out and go against the grain and just, uh, what, was those, what was the couple's name that came over, that mission group? Albert and... Elaine, who sold everything here and left, right? And then the world, especially for their parents, tell them, are you nuts, right? That is so stupid, right? You have two kids, you sold everything, and now you're leaving? Think of your children. Usually when they say that, it's like, think of me, <laughs> right? It's like, think of the children, what you're doing. That's irrational, that type of discomfort, okay? So we're going into the next two chapters, and these two chapters are for those, especially for those who have that calling against going against the grain. In fact, 
this type of suffering, the Corinthians actually accused him of something. And it is the, the Corinthians accused him of, you know that you're suffering? You know in you're suffering? Well, the reason why you're suffering is because maybe you're not Christian enough. That's what they're telling him. Maybe that suffering that you're going through, maybe because you're not Christian enough. Because in their mind, if you're really a good Christian, why would Jesus give you suffering? That's what they would say. In their mind, they would say, well, you're, you're, you believe, right? Shouldn't Jesus guarantee you a happy life? Instead, why are you suffering, Paul? Why are you going through all that suffering that you're going through? Maybe you're not Christian enough. Maybe you're not even an apostle. Maybe you're not even Christian. Maybe you're just like a fraud, like those foolish teachers that those teachers have been telling us. Because you're suffering. Why are you suffering? So that's where we're going. So let's go on and let's move ahead. So this is about this type of suffering, about following Jesus, and the world is telling Paul and us that saying, no, you're too stupid to follow, all right? That type of discomfort. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. Let's go on there. He begins with this. Paul says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Now, the reason why I titled this sermon that fool, right, is because foolishness and fool are what? Repeated a lot. Right? The number one rule of thumb in doing a Bible study in any uh, of Paul's letters is find the word that's repeated the most, except for the thes and the is, the, you know, the nouns, right? And if it's repeated a lo- often, it means that it's pretty important. So he says this, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this picture that I posted. Like, uh, it's from Inside Out. Like, uh, this was whenever um, the wife, right, was a little disappointed with her husband. She would just go into her little like, imagination and think, rethink about the Brazilian pilot and the Brazilian pilot, come with me, Papa Guinea, right? You know, that type of thing. But this moment right here, Paul is saying that you Corinthians, we've been following Jesus all along. What happened? You're now thinking of a different Jesus. You're having this different types of thoughts about Jesus in this different type of Christianity. And he goes, and then so which gives us going wondering, makes us wonder, and makes the Corinthians wonder who's reading this, going, what does he mean? What do you mean by a different type of Jesus, a different type of Christianity? Hint. Where's that hint? It's in verse 3. And you should underline that if you're able to underline a phone. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Where is that story? What book is it? Genesis. So, guess where we have to go? Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. That's where uh, he's referring to right now. He goes, remember the story in Genesis? (laughs) <laughs> you know how the, the fall, it's the fall chapter, right? When uh, humanity, mankind fell. Well, let's, let's revisit that story and let's read it. To, um, I'll read it and you just follow. Ch- Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. This is where Paul was alluding to. He says this. Well, the story goes like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I, I didn't do it so well. You know, did God really say that? Really? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then, of course, the serpent says, oh, come on, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, underlying that, good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable, underline that one, for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What was the statement made by the Satan? Satan basically says, God is wrong. You won't die. You'll certainly not die. Why would he kill you? He loves you. You will not certainly die if you touch that fruit. He's just giving you rules to prevent you from doing what you want to do and desire. Remember uh, what the, what, yeah, how mankind saw the fruit? It was desirable, pleasing, good, right? Just so basically Satan says, he's just preventing you from having a happy life. He's preventing you from having a, to fulfill your own desires. Look, don't you want more wisdom? Doesn't he want you to have more wisdom? Doesn't God want you to want the best for you, right? God doesn't, like, so why would he create these rules? Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe God didn't create those rules. Maybe you heard wrong, right? Or God, maybe he's just being old-fashioned. You know, like we're in the 21st century, right? Like, maybe God is just an old grandfather. Maybe he's, he, you know, his rules change over time. And, uh, you know, now we're in the 21st century. Maybe God forgot to give you a fax or an email saying that, oh, look, we changed it, right? You can do whatever you want, right? That's because God really wants the best for you. But then maybe he doesn't even know what the best for you is. Maybe he just, he just left you to your own devices and you would follow your own desires and wants. And then his rules are just old fashioned. So it's just kind of conflicting. Why does he want to constrain you anyway? Go for it. He will not kill you because he loves you so much. You follow? You follow this, what Satan is doing? Guess what? He did the same thing to Jesus in the wilderness. Just look it up. He did the same thing to Jesus, right? Like, he loves you so much to jump off the building. <laughs> right, Jesus? Like, Jesus, you're the son of God. He loves you so much. Jump off the building. Right? That's pretty much the same thing. So God, he's wrong. He could be wrong. He might be wrong. He's probably wrong. And that's what he's telling Eve and Adam. And Eve and Adam, what did they say? Well, they saw the fruit. What, was that? what were the words that I told you to underline? Good, pleasing, and desirable. Wow. So Eve and Adam saw the fruit, and they said it was good, pleasing, desirable. They did what they desired. Now, recall during creation in Genesis 1 and 2, when God created something, who determined whether it was good? God. Remember, I, he created the heavens and the earth. He created animals, and he said it was good. Now, who decides what was good? Even Adam. Flipped. Where's God in the picture? Nowhere to be seen. Mankind now, even before taking the fruit, or wanted to decide what is good for themselves, what they want to desire, what they see is pleasing, so they went after it. God, you're now out of the picture. I know what I want. You don't know what I want. I know what's good for me. You don't know what's good for me. I'm going to take it. If you're going to prevent my freedom from taking it, you're not fulfilling your end of the bargain for giving me a full life. Follow? That's the thing. Right? So, history repeats itself, right? 
we now have the Corinthians. And that's exactly the type of Christianity and the type of Jesus they are now believing in. Jesus, sure, I believe in Jesus. But you know that pattern of life you told us to do? You know, lay down our, lay down our life, like lose our lives to, so that in order to save our life. Or uh, what is it, uh, pick up our cross and follow you? Yeah, that crucifixion thing is, is not a kosher with me. Or, you know, like, uh, I don't want to suffer, right? I don't want to, like, be a disciple of you. Look at all the rules you have given us, the pattern of life you've given us. That is very preventative of my full blossoming of my life, right? And it is, so then, I don't, yeah, I believe you. So I'll just redefine you, okay, Jesus? I'll, I'll mold you into my own image, okay? You're going to be the Jesus that's going to be like my butler, right? It's going to be a butler, like Batman's butler, right? What's his name? Alfred, right? You're going to be my Alfred. So whenever I ring the bell, you come. But if, you, if I don't ring the bell, stay out of my life, okay, Jesus? Right? And then, but then if I really want something, I'll pray for it. I'll keep praying for it until I nag it to death, right? Please bless it. Follow? So Jesus, you owe me. Because I believed in you, now you owe me a good life, a happy life. That is the type of Jesus, the type of Christianity the Corinthians have fallen. The same type that Eve and Adam fell. You follow? Exactly the parallel. Right? Back at the then, Eve and Adam, they saw that, that they want to determine what was good. Now, the Corinthians, they want to determine what is good. They want that Jesus, but they only want to believe in him to get that ticket into heaven, but they didn't want to follow the pattern of life that Jesus laid out for them. It's called fire insurance, if you get what I'm talking about. I just want to pay my rent, you know, put it in the safety deposit box, do my you know, due diligence of coming on Sundays, that type of thing, right? Just believe, bare minimum, and then so then when I need you, I got it. All right, let's move on. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. It says this, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or you receive a different spirit from the spirit you receive, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Meaning that, well, we all know that the Corinthians, they thought they were smart, right? They thought they were really smart. So they go, so when this type of the teaching, saying that Jesus is just a divine butler comes in, well, why not take it? Because that's so easy. It's a lot easier than following a pattern of life that Jesus gave us, right? Right? But Paul says that's foolish. Remember the, okay, so remember the Corinthians wanted a lavish life, right? First Corinthians, second Corinthians, they all, these Corinthians just thought that Christianity was just part of a, a addition to their resume to get ahead. And so it is no, it doesn't surprise us that they would formulate this new teaching about Jesus being a divine butler, right? To just do what we desire, to Jesus just honor what we desire. And just as long as we believe in you, we got this fire insurance. No. Paul says, that's not it. There's a life, the pattern of life that we need to follow. And unfortunately, this type of pattern of life that Paul is following, the Corinthians see it, saw it as, no, that can't be. That can't be right. That suffering that you're going through cannot be possibly a Christianity. Christianity is supposed to be this awesome like, religion where I could get ahead, I could have a happy life, and for some preachers in the South, a jet. Right? I should be able to get a jet, right? Like, or two jets, or three jets, paid in, well, you guys saw the video, right? Paid in cash, right? You know, that type of thing. That's the Christianity I want. Not this Christianity, and what were they referring to? 
Well, let's take a look. They were, Paul continues on with this suffering that he's going through, and this is why the Corinthians thought that he was just not it, right? Here we go. Are you guys ready? Chapter 11, verse 23, starting at 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Minus one because if you have one more, he would be dead. You know, that's what it means. Like 40 lashes minus one means, it's actually metaphorical, meaning that I got lashes until I was about to die. All right? That's what he meant. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. Danger from bandits. Danger from fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, in the, the, danger in the country, danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? And who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, I'll give an example. This is how pathetic I am. The governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascus guarding in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Is this the type of life a business professional who is pursuing a position of a CEO would like to follow? No. Right? Is this the type of life that, um, that you may have signed up for? For those who have received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? Is this the type of life that you knew that you were signing up for on the dotted line before when you were baptized? Oops. Right? Sorry to disappoint, Paul says. This is the type of life, the pattern of life that Jesus has given us. Persecution. Judgment. Suffering. Paul says, all this is actually following the pattern of life that Jesus has given us. Not the life of the glory or the spits and spans of the uh, of riches, the happy life, the things that will fulfill our own desires. No, Paul says, that's not it. Being, being Christian is to actually go against the world and allow the world to actually persecute us, to reveal our weaknesses. Because in our weakness, we are made strong, he says later on in this chapter. Now, okay. I must admit, we live in the West. And no, we're not gonna get persecuted by a guy, a king from Damascus, and then we have to be lowered down a basket at Aberdeen Center. That does not mean that way, because I don't think we will ever have that opportunity to be lowered in a basket in Aberdeen Mall, right? However, I do know that all of us, including myself, have another type of suffering, a life of suffering, another type of thing that we experience when we go against the grain of the world. And this is where I find in Paul, he's brilliant. In verse 29 in chapter 11, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Our suffering is more about, just like Paul, the temptation to write Jesus off and just continue on with our own life. To redefine Jesus as the butler in a box. We, go, we will go to him when we need him, but for the rest of the time, we just do whatever we want because, hey, Jesus wants us to be happy, right? We just want him to bless us. That type of temptation to write Jesus off, that type of temptation to not make him as a priority, 
is what Paul would say, it continues to inwardly burn. Agree? Think about it. This past week, have you given Jesus a, his priority? His right to be priority number one? Your schedule, look at your schedules, look at your calendars, look at the, uh, look at the time that you spend on your calendars, and look at your wallets, look at your bank accounts. Is Jesus there? And then, it, and, then for, and then when we realize that he's not, and we try very hard and we get convicted, that's the inward burn. That's what Paul means by the inward burn. Let's be honest. Following Jesus is hard, right? He gives us a pattern of life to follow so that we can be most fully human that God has created us to be and show to ourselves that we indeed belong in the new kingdom and indeed have to seal the Holy Spirit, right? We need to prove ourselves, prove to us that we are actually saved. However, the world around us tells us that this pattern doesn't give us any freedom to do what we want, right? This pattern that Jesus has given us doesn't seem like it's a great pattern to begin with. It's really like limiting. Like, uh, like the, the world around us tells us that this pattern is no fun, does not give us any joy or ecstasy or invigorating excitement. The world around us tells us that this pattern that, that Jesus has given us is boring. In fact, it's burdening and hard to do, so why try? Right? The world is telling us that the pattern of light that Jesus has given us is not economically feasible. Think about it. Tithing. Stupid. Right? Like, like why are you tithing so much? It's 10% of your gross. Right? It, like, it's, it's a huge chunk of money. That's like a mortgage payment or even a rent payment or a car payment or something payment like, or two cell phone payments. Like, think about it. Right? That's a lot of money. It's silly to tithe. But then we do because that's what the pattern of life that Jesus gave us. To withhold from that, we're, we're, being, we're not being obedient. But then to be obedient, the world is telling us, you're silly. It's not economically feasible. Do you know where you live, my friend? You live in Vancouver, the most expensive city in this whole freaking globe. <laughs> right? They say, you follow? The world also tells us that, hey, why do you go to Sunday? It's football season. I face that, sorry. Like, that's my personal inward burn, okay? <laughs> like, you know, it's like every Sunday morning I have to go to church when I know that the Buffalo Bills are playing in the morning all the time, <laughs> right? It's like, it's because they're in the East, sorry. Only Janice can relate, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that type of thing, right? So the world keeps on telling us, why do this? God, if God is so good, so loving, why would he prevent you from doing what you want to do? Here's another example. Having sex before marriage, right? Folks, whether you're a Christian or not, the world knows that in Christianity, they could Google it, Christianity says having sex just, before, just for pleasure is wrong. In fact, even in Hollywood and society, look at, just check out Fifty Shades of Grey, right? They would say, yeah, it's like one of those darkest pleasures that you should actually pursue. They all agree that dark. They all agree it's sinful, but it's a sinful pleasure like chocolate or something, right? And they go, you gotta have it. Right? And if you don't, it's an adventure that you're missing out. You're against the norm if you don't. Yet the world says that the Christians are fools. Because why? Because you're not fulfilling your desires. The general rule of thumb now these days in, the, in society is basically if you're not fulfilling your desires, you're not fully human. You follow? That's the general rule of thumb of society now. If you're not fulfilling your full desires, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, sleep whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, shack up with whoever you want, you're not fulfilling your desires, are you? And so therefore, if you're not fulfilling your desires, you're not human. You're not fully human. 
However, for us as Christians, what do we believe? We're fully human already in Jesus. Amen? We are who we are of who we have inside of us. We're defined by him. We are so blessed that we are actually defined by Jesus. We're full already because we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. Amen? And therefore, we allow Jesus to actually give us a pattern of life to tell us what we should desire. For what, what he tells us to do that we desire will be for our good and to live out our full potential of who God has made us to be. And that, my friends, far outweighs what the world says about desires. The world can only see this far, like a rhino, only 20 feet. And then what happens under 20 feet? It creates damage, right? It just keeps running and it just bulldozes whatever, even the precious things. Jesus gives us a further optic, of an optic of an eternal optic, to know that, hey, you got a glorious body awaiting for you, even further than just 20 feet. Pursue that, because for you already have it. You have that inheritance. Yes, painful, isn't it, to face against the world like this? Painful, isn't it, to just continue to be bombarded with the world telling us to fulfill our desires or else you're never human? Well, Paul knew that too. And he goes on in chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. We'll go on. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to this third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up in paradise, heard it, inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I was pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, it's interesting because like, Paul continues on with these weaknesses, right? He continues on with the sufferings that he's facing. Now, not only do we face against an uphill battle against the world, telling us that you should be fulfilling your desires or else you're not human, the world is also saying, boast about them. Boast about your desires too, right? We see that now and today on various pockets of groups. I will not identify them here. But we know that they, would love, they are here to boast about their desires. Boast about them. The Corinthians here, they, boasted, they wanted to boast about their spiritual desires. I want to speak in tongues. I want to prophesy. I want to be able to go into the afterlife and come back. Right? That's what Paul meant here. But Paul says, no, that's not who we are. We don't need to be boasty. We don't need to boast about these things because guess what? Even the world said, although the world says that you have to fan that flag about your desires, you don't need to. You have the greatest advocate of them all, and that's Jesus. You do not need to fan that. You don't need to like, uh, like weigh that flag of your desires for the desires are already given by Jesus and you're full. You don't need to. And that's what Paul meant here. So yeah, there's this guy he knew, but he doesn't care. So what? So what if he has uh, skills and giftedness and things that he could like, boast about? But you know what? That's not what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is to actually realize who you are already in him and that following the, it's not really the straight and narrow gate. It's never been the straight and narrow gate. The gate is actually for those who, see, who are not in Jesus. Because for those who are in Jesus, guess where we are? 
We're already in it. <laughs> we don't need to go through the gate, the narrow gate. Who was Jesus talking to? It was to the Pharisees that were the eye, the needle, the camel, right? And the narrow gate or the narrow path. Who was his audience in the first place? People who did not believe him. But for those who believe him, who are we? Sheep in the, in the pen. We already went in. We're in, right? So we do not see these pattern of life as this little, oh, it's so constricting in there. No, we see it as life-giving, a way to live out our fullest potential. Now, a little bit about the thorn. A little about the thorn of the flesh, because we've heard this many times. For some of you, I've read this passage a few times. Let's go into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 8. He goes to this, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, underline that, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So this thorn is described as a messenger of Satan. Messengers, hmm, what do messengers do? They give messages, <laughs> right? <laughs> Follow? Okay, so messengers give messages. And what is this message? The same message that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. God is wrong. Paul, all your sufferings, your shipwrecks, your poison, your, your, your encounter with poison snakes, your encounter with um, persecution by the Jews and the non-Jews and the unbelievers and the false believers, you probably have it wrong. God is probably wrong. This life that he has given you is probably wrong. Same with us, isn't it? This thorn in our flesh, that thing that inwardly burns. When we follow Jesus, we go, why it's so tough, right? And then we get persecuted by our own family, friends, or colleagues, saying that, why are you, like, are you insane? Are you stupid? What is, like, that is totally financially not, doesn't make sense. That is the thorn that we all have, that we have to endure. But thanks be to God, he continues on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 12. And this is where you and I, and this is how we're going to close this morning. Thanks be to God that every time we have this thorn that's continuously here because we're here in this world and we're going against the world and we're the light and the world continues to try to douse that light. But thanks be to God, Paul says, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Therefore, we delight in the persecutions and the insults and the judgments that are, that are thrown at us by our friends or family or colleagues. We delight in them, Paul says, because that is why for Christ's sake, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Here's the important part. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. Interesting, right? Right in the beginning of, the, of our day, uh, of our morning uh, together, we, the Corinthians marked him as a what? As a fool, right? We are all going to be marked, or is marked, being marked, as a fool for doing what we're doing, for coming here on a Sunday morning, sacrificing our sleep-ins, sacrificing our games, sacrificing our, our reservation over our kids to play beach volleyball, to come here. Seriously, I know, I've been there, right? It's to come here to worship God, right? We've been marked as a fool. But Paul says, in this persecutions, in these hardships, in these insults, in these difficulties, 
you are now you have the marks of a true apostle. He flipped that and says, No, you're marked as a fool by the world, but you're marked as a true apostle in the light of God. In the sight of God. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we find comfort in knowing that as we stand firm, the power of God is actually displayed in us. Every time we feel weak, the power of God is actually displayed through us to the world. This power, the very power that created the world, this power that raised people from the dead, this power that saves, this power that heals, this power that provides salvation to those who have no hope, this power is displayed to the world when we stand firm and in it and for Christ's sake. Jesus suffers alongside with us and thankfully he does. Because we are doing what Jesus has done and knowing that, we lean on the truth that we will inherit glorious bodies. The body that Jesus has now, eternal, perfect, full beyond our desires and imagination. I have no idea what the perfect full Jonathan Chan will look like. Hopefully, it's a liver that could withstand a lot of bacon. Right? And when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, he is reminding us that his promise of deliverance, this will, it, his promise of deliverance means that this will end. The persecutions, the turmoil, the difficulties that we have will end. And by standing firm, even if we don't overly say it, through our standing firm, we are testifying to the world that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Amen?